0: Underdog podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome back to the Underdog Podcast, uh, your home for G5 football. And when we decide we want to talk about anything else, uh, Joe is still on vacation. He's still in Italy, so he's he's the lucky duck here. But uh, today we are wrapping up our team preview series with UCF, and joining me is Jeff Sharon. Jeff, how you doing?
1: What's going on, Joe? Thanks for having me on the show. It's been uh, this is my first time diving in on the Underdog podcast, so uh, I'm glad you had me on, man. How's everything?
0: Good, good. We uh, Joe and I talked about doing this series, and I realized that it would be the first time that I get to talk to some of the people that I follow on Twitter, and and you're one <laughs> of them. You and I have been talking for a while, and it's it's finally na- it's nice to hear a voice to the uh, I, I don't know the, the Twitter pages that I look at when I see your tweets.
1: I probably sound a lot different in person than I do on Twitter. Yeah, I, I try to like pull
0: so <laughs> I try to pull some audio of my guests before, so I have an idea of what they sound like. But you know, sometimes you don't. You run out of time to do that. I'm like, you know what? It's not gonna matter what they sound like. I'll just whatever they sound like, that's what it's gonna be. So right. <laughs> cool. But uh, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll just dive right into it. Uh, there's a lot to talk about surrounding UCF, and you and I talked before this episode. We talked a little off air about. Everything that's going on with the, the whole drama with Danny White and the and Florida and the playoff and all that stuff. And we're, we're not going to dive into that because, like we said, you and I could be here for forever and we would right. never wrap this episode up, which that's fine. You and I would enjoy it. I don't know if our wives would appreciate that, but you and I would <laughs> have some fun.
1: Now, yeah, my And my kid is in the room next door to my office, too, so yeah. I'm pretty sure he'd be like, Dad,
0: Dad quiet. Yeah, so, I yeah. don't care about UCF anymore. Go to bed. <laughs> I know. Well,
1: let's let's, go to bed before I become a USF fan.
0: Yeah, seriously. <laughs> we don't want that. <laughs> well let's let's start with the obvious it's you know mckenzie milton was the face of the program for the last two years and arguably he's he's the reason why ucf's had so much success you know scott Pross obviously had an influence but you don't go very far if your quarterback's not any good and now that he's hurt which really sucks even i don't like that he's going to be out for probably the whole year but now you kind of have to move on and that's kind of the mo with football players is you just you go to the next man and we thought it was going to be a two-man race between brandon winbush and dj mac but then mac gets hurt and throws a wrench into things so what are the concerns surrounding the quarterback position and what are we what are we looking for from brandon winbush or what are concerns with him
1: kind of a nice problem to have if you're josh hypo right um i mean but the The central question is, what does UCF do to replace that This is Mackenzie Milton in the last two seasons. He's thrown for sixty sixty seven hundred yards, uh, exactly sixty seven hundred yards by the way. Uh, sixty two touchdowns and fifth and just fifteen interceptions in the last two seasons in twenty three games. And how do you replace that? Well, we saw last year in it, it, we we saw DJ Matt come in. Um, when McKenzie was a little banged up against ECU, Matt came in and had a pretty decent game against the Pirates. Uh, he led the Knights to a comeback victory in the uh, championship game against Memphis. And then, you know, people look back at that LSU game. I, I thought actually DJ played fairly well as receivers sometimes didn't help him out in that game. Um, and it's hard to believe that last year he was a redshirt freshman. That's the other thing, too. So he would have been the, it's likely he would have been or at least had the pole position to be the starter. And then he. Breaks his ankle um, in what UCF has called a non-football injury. Yeah, that's um, great. Yeah, two weeks before before camp starts. So, well, fortunately for Josh Heupel, he went out during the recruiting period and got some insurance with um, Brandon Wimbush, who's a graduate student transfer from Notre Dame. Um, Held, a, 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 it, w- w- has his name all over the Notre Dame uh, record books for offense in a single season in 2017. But remember, he lost his job to Ian Book, um, midway through last year. Um, and so ostensibly, you think that it would be Brandon Wimbush who would get the start. You know, excellent dual threat quarterback. One of his problems is, is accuracy, um, that he's only he's hovering right around 50% for his career. But, Not to be outdone is there's a third guy in the mix, and that's Dylan Gabriel, the true freshman who went to the same exact high school in Hawaii that Mackenzie Milton went to. He went to Miliani High School outside of uh, Honolulu. And Gabriel is a lefty. He's Yes, he's 18 years old. He's super young. But this kid is a phenom, and they can't wait to get him going, um, but they want to be careful not to obviously burn, their, burn a red shirt on a guy who's this talented unless they absolutely have to. So with Mac out, it's kind of become this two-horse race between Wimbush and Gabriel, and UCF has been very tight-lipped. You know, quarterback coach Jeff Levy and Josh Heupel, the head coach, every time somebody asks them, "All right, anything to get them to deliver any sort of hint on the quarterback situation," even after a scrimmage today, they were like, "They, they." I'd hate to play poker with these guys because you just can't get anything out of them. <laughs> and, um, and 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 so it, there's uh, the other thing that kind of bodes in their favor is Gabriel. They have the new redshirt rule since two years ago, right? So he can play four, up to four games, and they could still redshirt him for this year. So um, I suspect that in the season opener at home against Florida A&M, that we're likely going to see both of these guys get some get some action with the first unit, and then we'll see what they've got as uh, as the Knights get ready for their uh, schedule here in 2019 with that. With non-conference games against uh, against Pittsburgh and uh, against uh, Stanford and FAU as well.
0: Yeah, it's always interesting when a Power Five player comes down to uh, you know one of these conferences because a lot of people I think by default and this probably is just like a casual fan view, but they kind of just expect oh well he's going down to quote unquote weaker competition, which obviously we we don't agree with that, but you think that. It would the field would open up for them because, and especially with Wimbush, like he, like you said, struggled with accuracy, but he also had plays. Even the first week against Michigan, he was airing it out and making big plays and showed that he can compete at a at a high level in the Big Ten or against the Big Ten team. But then obviously, you know, you have to be consistent. So you always wonder what that brings in terms of coming to UCF. Now, a quick side note question didn't McKenzie Milton get sus- not suspended, but benched or so su- it was some weird situation last year. And Mac started what happened there. Right. So
1: that was, that was the ECU game. It was, it was at ECU and ECU was bad last year and, and McKenzie. So this was the game after the Memphis game, that 31 30 game in the, in the Liberty Bowl, which was just a thriller in the rain. I mean, it was like a, it, it was like a, it was like a Tolstoy drama that game. And, uh, and McKenzie was banged up in that game. He actually hurt his ankle on the touchdown run that gave UCF the lead. And uh, and they were a little. There was a bye week around there, and then they were like, we we he kind of needs an extra week of rest. And we have ECU, but ECU is no good. But we don't want to declare him out right away. We want to kind of keep them guessing so that we can get maximum, you know, effect surprise effect with. Uh, with Mack in there. So they uh, Mackenzie was officially listed as the starter for that game. And then as UCF gets the ball, no joke, the two of them, uh, DJ Mack and Mackenzie Milton, were standing next to Josh Heupel on the sidelines with their helmet on uh, and boom, Mack runs out to the huddle. Even ESPN got fooled. They had run a graphics package for Mackenzie Milton that outruns DJ Mack. and uh, and Mac actually had a pretty good game last year against uh, against ECU. Ran for a touchdown, um, and uh, and he actually didn't throw. He actually uh, didn't throw for a touchdown, but the guy who would be the fourth string quarterback, Quadri Jones, did. They put him in for one play on a on a wide, lined him up at wide out, and he threw a, a trick play touchdown pass. But um, but Mac. Is Max' clear strength is that he's he's a big kid and he's a runner. He's like a battering ram out there. He ran for to- for he ran for four touchdowns, which was a school record in the second half alone of the second Memphis game, the, the one in the conference championship. So, though that was a weird situation. Mackenzie wasn't suspended. It was just it, it, they wanted to give him an extra week of rest to heal up his ankle um, prior to that game, and and it worked to that point. Um, and then, uh, and then the game against South Florida happened.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. It, the, the ECU game was weird because it, it was, you know, another thing we talked about is, you know, the people that you you follow, you see a handful of tweets, and like I said, perception is reality. You, people were talking, oh, Mil- Milton's suspended for the game, and then you watch the game and you see, okay, well, he's he's dressed ready to go, and he's right. got his helmet on, and then like you said. You know we we're all kind of thrown for a loop where they're both ready to go and Mac goes out and you're like, well, if Milton's ready to go, why isn't he starting? And that sounds yeah. weird. But you know it's it again. It sucks that neither one of them are. Well, Mac might come back, but it's they're not ready right away. So that's that sucks that we have to adjust. Right. But you know the the nice thing with UCF is, and Brandon Wimbush is going to find if he wins the job, assuming. But there's so much talent at every other position and especially at running back. And it was interesting to me that you have two guys in Adrian Killens and Otis Anderson, and both are phenomenal in space. Killens obviously has DeAnthony Thomas' speed, and Anderson's just so versatile in the offense. But then you get Greg McRae to come out of nowhere, and he kills it too. So now what what do we look forward to? in year three from now three guys and it seemed like Otis Anderson kind of took a hit in terms of production so what what do they do what do they do to use all three well and is their production more of kind of a product of how good the offensive line plays?
1: Well the offensive line is always going to be key especially with the move to Hypel's system which was different than Scott Frost's system. Frost's system was a lot more you know especially in terms of scheme was you're still going to see a lot of read option stuff from Hypel, uh, like kind of like you did, but it was a lot more lateral with with Scott Frost's system. Hypel likes to likes to turn that sort of shotgun spread into a power running slash downfield throwing attack, and that's where you know, guys I think like Killens, which what what we're really seeing is I, I use this analogy with everyone that. That that UCF is playing like positionless offense, kind of like the Golden State Warriors, but in football, right? You know, guys are listed as backs, but they can run they can be all over the place. And you and you made a great point with the analogy to D Anthony Thomas, because that's the exact kind of player that guys like um Killins, uh, for example, and Otis Anderson are Otis Anderson's actually listed as a running back slash wide receiver. Um he's the only guy who has that tag. On the roster, he will line up outside. He will line up in the backfield. He will go in motion. He'll be all over the field at once. I imagine we'll see a lot more of the same of that with Adrian Killens too, who is already a senior. It's kind of hard to believe, but um, but because of uh, of his speed, I mean, he's tailor made to be in the slot. Um, Greg McRae was a was a remarkable find in the second half last year. Ran for a thousand yards um, and was just breaking stuff all over the place, and he should be. Uh, he should be well featured again um, this year. I, I think one of the key things that that, that the Knights are going to have to answer is there are going to be those times like in that first Memphis game in the rain when you have to when you have to have some power in the in between the tackles. Uh, last year that was Taj McGowan. He had the um, the long touchdown run on that fourth and one in the second half and late in the third against Memphis that flipped the game. Um, this year, I, I would like to see that come from one of two guys, either Bentavious Thompson, who's a redshirt sophomore out of Miami, or Demarius Good, who's a freshman from Lake Brantley High School, which is in the Orlando area. Um, who's going to be that guy between the tackles but, on those key situations? Because you're going to have them. But um, as far as you know, how do these guys fit in? Um, you know, where are we going to – what are we going to see out of McCray? What are we going to see out of Killens and, and Anderson? It's just it, – it, it, they like having a situation where there's no set spot where we see those guys. Um, Wherever they line up is wherever they is wherever they're going to line up, and we're we're going to find a way to get them the ball in space, like you said, because that's where they are so dangerous. And uh, you know, Adrian had a bit of an off year last year, and still was one of the t- was one of the team's top rushers. Um, even so, kind of the secret got out from him. I'd like to see him also return kicks a little bit more. I think he was battling a few nagging injuries last year uh, as well. But like I said, it's a it's a nice problem to have if you're Josh Heupel. Um, to have all these kind of all these weapons at your disposal that you can move all over the field.
0: Yeah, it's definitely not a shallow arsenal, that's for sure. And it's yeah, it's, t- it's tough with killings because it seems like that you know even like like Marquise Brown from Oklahoma, you see these guys are so fast, but it seems like with these fast guys that. The, the little injuries just seem to be bigger for them and I, I it's it's tough to watch because you want to see them perform at a high level, but it's just yeah, hopefully he can stay healthy and the, yeah, their offense is just obviously so much more dynamic with him in it.
1: Right. Yeah, and, and that's not to outdo the wide receivers that they have out there too, because um, you know, Marlon Williams, for example, who's listed as a wideout, is actually a converted back um and you have a lot of others a lot of other guys outside the numbers who can just who can who help you spread the field um you know Trey Nixon and Gabe Davis I think Gabe Davis is going to be an NFL prospect after this season um and uh, it, it, there's just a lot that you can work with here in, in order to get the ball to people
0: Yeah right both guys are definitely fun to watch Davis is just like I think I agree with you he's got he's got the frame that I think NFL teams will like it, trey nixon is i think one of the better receivers off the line. I think his release is just incredible it's it's tough to get hands on him and he's not he's not the quickest guy, but he's definitely got some giddy up and they yeah it's 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 crazy to me that neither one of them were close to a thousand yards last year
1: yeah they kind of they kind of took um some of the some some of the yardage away from one another i the key difference with them is you know trey is such a speedster out there. He, it, it, the, the key is for him to beat his man. If he beats his man, um, it's, it could be a touchdown every single time. Gabe is a little bit different where he's the kind of guy who, you know, like you talked about his frame, he's six, 12, but has incredible leaping ability. If you throw the ball anywhere near him, he's going to get it. Um, it's just a question of how accurate you are with the football. Um, you know, Trey, you kind of have to put the ball on him a little bit more. Um, but nonetheless, you still, it's, it's still a great weapon to have at your disposal. I think LSU kind of found that out, um, last year in that game. But people forget like UCF was, UCF had the ball down one score with a minute to go. And, uh, and, and they threw an interception that kind of ended it off of a tipped ball that Davis almost caught and could have taken the distance if he was about a foot ahead of it. But, um, but yeah this is it's like i said it's it's just a an embarrassment of riches as they like to say for for whoever gets to play quarterback
0: yeah davis catch against lsu the one in the back of the end zone that that mac threw the just beautiful pass that was one of the best catches i've ever seen just a perfect spot and then davis like has the presence of mind to know that he's in the back of the end zone so he just gets both feet in catches it yeah it was just that was incredible
1: yeah that throw by Darryl Mack too in that in, on that on that touchdown was just the throw of the year i thought
0: oh yeah for sure well so uh, another thing you and i can talk about is the offense because there's so many pe- guys that we we love to watch and it doesn't matter who you are it just there's so many weapons that are fun to watch and we flip to the other side of the ball and it seems like you have guys like Brendan Hayes and Richie Grant and Nate Evans, you know their names. They're they're gonna be studs on the defense, but it seems like UCF almost took a step back last year. So what can they do to bounce back? And who are some of the guys that can contribute to them improving this year?
1: You know, I, I, I didn't really th- I, I didn't really think that in terms of taking a step back. You know, the problem that that you're going to have when you have an offense like UCF's is, is, you're just going to have to live with the fact that the defense is going to be out on the field for a lot of plays and for a very long time. All right, so so what can you do? You can't you can't play that traditional sort of power defense. You have to find ways to cause havoc, and UCF specializes in in causing turnovers. Um and uh and you know as we saw last year, you know, scoring defense for UCF was Second in the American, they gave up 22.7 points per game. That was 36th in the country, despite the fact that they gave up um, 433 yards of total offense per game. That was 95th in the country. So 36th in the country in scoring defense, 95th in yardage. That's classic bend but don't break. Factor that in with with a plus 14 turnover margin, which was third in the country, and that's how UCF went. 12-1. 12 and, went 12 and 1. Um the the key there you lose a lot of guys off of the front seven. Brendan Hayes is obviously back, but you have uh you have some new guys in there like Cam Good. Um they're really, really high on Randy Charlton at defensive end. I think he's gonna be spectacular for UCF. And uh, and the linebacking core, I think, is gonna be underrated. Nate Evans the senior comes back. He had that long um, fumble recovery for a touchdown against ECU that kind of sealed the game um, last year, and, and is the very clear established leader of the defense. Um, and alongside him are two younger guys: Eric Gilliard, who's a sophomore who's super talented, and Eric Mitchell, a junior who um, should also should be the next guy to fall in line behind Nate and you know after Pat Jasinski last year who graduated. The strength of this defensive unit is definitely the defensive uh, secondary um, you have three guys or really four guys back there with a ton of uh, with a ton of action under their belt uh, Bam Moore Brandon Moore junior and Neville Clark the senior um, on the corners and then Richie Grant who is on several watch lists this year at safety. Um, keep an eye on him. If he has another big year like he like he has uh, improved the way he improved from 17 to 18, he could be a first round draft pick. I'm really convinced of that. And Antoine Collier, the junior back there also, not to mention guys that they have, you know, behind them who, can, who they can bring in, in nickel and dime situations like Aaron Robinson, who, um, you know, unfortunately, had, he was injured on the opening kickoff of the of the opening game against UConn. And miss, the rest of the se- and miss the rest of the season. Um, should be a pretty good kick returner, uh, and Jordan Hayes, uh, also a senior, coming in, who should be uh, who should help out UCF. So, you know, those five key starters. You know, they were, but they were. It's it the the they return only five starters on defense, in, in Brandon Hayes, Nate Evans, and Moore Clark and Grant in the secondary. But there's a lot of experience. The, the, the guys who move into those starting spots. Got a lot of run last year because you have to substitute a lot with a bend but don't break scheme. So, um, And and the best part about this if you're UCF is this is year two for that defense under Randy Shannon. We know how good of a defensive coordinator Randy Shannon is and we know how good of a recruiter he is. And there's always – they always – the biggest leap is from year one under a new coach to year two. And I think Shannon has very well settled himself in with this scheme um, and finding the guys he wants and putting them in positions to cause havoc and cause turnovers. So um, I think that actually this year could be an even better year for UCF's defense than last year. The question is, how many turnovers do they cause and how many turnovers does the offense not give up? to put the defense in bad positions. I think that's one thing that UCF is going to have to be very um, mindful of. I mean, Mackenzie Milton took such good care of the football last year, uh, and Daryl Mack did too, don't forget. Um, What happens if, you know, Brandon Wimbush uh, gets an attack of the yips and all of a sudden it starts becoming inaccurate once again? That's going to be the key, I think, for UCF.
0: Right, which is kind of weird that uh, the, the defense, especially after last year, and the year before that, that, the defense might play a bigger role this year with potentially an offense that might need some time to get going, which yeah is, is I don't know. It's, again, it, it's just, there's so many reminders that Mackenzie Milton will not play this year, and it's just frustrating. But, oh well, you got to move on at some point.
1: Yeah. They're oh. hoping that there's, there's hope, by the way. I, I got an update on Mackenzie Milton. I'm so sorry to interrupt, but. No, you're good. Um, he actually went on Scott Van Pelt. Um I saw that. uh yesterday and he said and and had some encouraging news that according to him the nerve in his leg is 100% healed. Now it's just a matter of getting the getting the structural stuff back online for himself. But that I, was the yeah, one yeah. thing that they were really concerned about with his leg is you know what happens with cuz he saw, his leg got that was like a car crash in that game. I mean his leg was completely wrecked. He almost had it amputated. I don't think people really fully okay. Realize how close he came to losing his leg that day. Yeah, and it's uh, crazy. I know it seems it seems bizarre to think about, but it's true. And uh, the the uh, his his blood supply is okay. His uh, and his uh, most importantly, the nerve, um, his nerves seem to be uh, at least according to him are much better. So um, we're not going to see Mackenzie Milton this year, but Mackenzie coming back for a senior season in twenty twenty. Yeah, it's a possibility. Don't rule it out.
0: I hope he does. It was uh, me too. I uh, so I actually got married on Black Friday or the day after Black Friday. No, it was, it was the day after Black Friday, and or did they play Saturday? They play that game on Friday. That's yeah. right. And yeah. so I, you know, we had rehearsal dinner that night, and so I wasn't really paying attention. I didn't watch the game at all, and I wasn't really planning on paying attention even if I did. Because I was like, USF's so bad. I know it's a rivalry game, but like, USF is not doing well. And so I didn't think anything of it. And then when I looked at my phone after everything was done, I'm like, wait, what happened? It was just like yeah. the worst thing to hear. And, and so now that he's well, because you also hear about like Zach Miller and Teddy Bridgewater in the NFL, and you're just like, okay, you hear about these comebacks that are just improbable, and you think, okay, is Milton have the same thing? And then he does. It's just. I, you know, I will never question a doctor or any medical professional because <laughs> it's just the work that they can do when you hear about what the, these athletes go through in those situations. is just, is just incredible.
1: It's a, it's a miracle. He's, if you, if you think about it, like how far we've come in sports medicine, the last quarter of a century, it's a miracle. He can walk. When oh, you yeah. think about it, I mean, let alone here we are talking about like, is it possible he could play again? I mean, I, I don't know about you, but if like I if I was in his shoes, I'd be like, I might not want to, you know, put myself in harm's way quite that right. much. Right? Well, and but, it's
0: tough because it's one of those like, it, it was a fluke thing, and it's easy for people who aren't hurt and haven't gone through that to say well, it was a fluke thing. It's probably never going to happen to you again, but. It's really tough to retrain your brain to think okay, I'm I'm good and then to take that next step and say all right, I'm back. I'm the old Mackenzie Milton that can do this or whoever you are. So it's just Right. Yeah. Like you said, just it's crazy how how much things have changed and now that we're talking about him playing and that, you know, he's he's walking.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing it's and and he has He's kind of taken on a role this year as uh, even in summer camp is kind of like a, an unofficial coach. Nobody knows the offense better than him and he is a uh, he's so, so I know this I know this sounds so trite, but like he's a genius with the football and with this and with the scheme. And you know, there are a few guys I think certainly in the history of the school who have that who've had that level of um, who, who just they, they uh, to use another horrible cliche? He plays chess where everybody else is playing checkers. I like that and, one, though. You know, and it, it, yeah, but but that's how he is. So you know, he might be a very key key individual for the team um, going forward with this uh, with this quarterback situation. You know, in, in terms of getting. Wimbush and and Gabriel up to speed and trying to get them to I mean it's going to be obviously very difficult to replicate you know 62 touchdowns in two years but um but if anybody can you know nobody knows the whole thing better than he does so yeah why not
0: yeah it's yeah you're right it's uh it's nice that they have that situation and that he has the potential to come back but for now he can help his teammates and Not maybe not rush back because there's really no point of rushing back even if they're being successful because if they are successful you don't need to throw that wrench into things just save him for another year and just make sure he's completely healthy to go forward exactly but so then speaking well we can so now we you know we've talked pretty much everything but. In sports, we see that you know teams, unless you're you know your name's Alabama or Clemson or you know, whatnot, you have you have ebbs and flows, ups and downs, and every team goes through that. And I think last year, people just expected, especially in the AAC, where there's really a ton of unknown and things change so much. there's not really a ton of consistency in terms of elite play, but UCF went 12 and0 in the regular season again. I think everyone's just expecting them to come down at some point. So, kind of getting into a prediction, but can can UCF do it again, or like is this is this the year they do take a step back?
1: Well, you know, again, it, it all does. I I still think that this that it will all come down to what kind of play they get out of the quarterback position. But when you look at the schedule. You know, and we said this last year, like when we were, you know, kind of mulling it over and thinking, okay, like where, where's the, where's the stumbling block? Where's the, where are they, where are they going to hit a bump? And then how are they going to recover? You know, we, we, when we looked at the schedule, we said last year, we said, you know, they have a greater than 50% chance of winning every game. Did we think they would win every game? No. Last year I thought they would go 10 and two and then they went 12 and 0. So, you know way to go me but um i look at their schedule again this year and they have in my opinion um assuming all goes as it should they have a better than 50 percent chance of winning each game on the schedule the toughest ones that they're going to face are the home game against stanford on september 14th that's a 330 kick um, I, some of the folks who have been previewing that game have been saying, oh, come on, UCF's going to should roll Stanford because the game's going to be on the East Coast and it's going to be hot and the kids in Northern California. I, I never put anything past the team coach by David Shaw. So uh, that game kind of is – I'm going to keep a close eye – I would keep a close eye on. Um, and then also there's a Friday night game. This is really the game of the year in the American, at least as of right now. Uh, Friday night, October the fourth, UCF goes to Cincinnati. Uh, Luke Fickle has done a phenomenal job with the Bearcats. There's no doubt about it. Um, last year, the game between those two teams was basically for the American East Championship. That was the weekend that college game day came to UCF for the first time ever, and it yeah, was about time. A, yeah, it was a real coming out party for the university. I don't think I don't think even people at UCF realize how big that was for the University of Central Florida to to have that moment and put the university itself on such a big stage. Right. Um, You know, all the kids that wake up at 930 in the morning in, you know, Missoula, Montana, uh, you know, watching college game day and are like, wow, that place looks cool. Maybe I can go to school there, you know. And um, it it was such a huge moment for the school. They win the game going away 38-13. yeah. And it but it was a little dicey there in the beginning. You could kind of see where Cincinnati kind of had they had some things that were working early in that game. And then it kind of just fall apart. And like the tidal wave just happened as it as it does with UCF. You know, once they get rolling, it's it, once the once the ball gets rolling, it's hard to stop.
0: Well, and but, and not to cut you off, but right. There were two things that I remember from that. The first thing was the having game day at UCF, which my biggest thing with with game day is well one their music selection sucks but that's a whole nother <laughs> like stop with the imagine dragons or the the hype video they just put out is like essentially imagine dragons it's like oh well we didn't put imagine dragons yeah, it's the same genre whatever so anyways but then it's it's the' we're, you know you get to the point where it's like like week one we all knew they we all know they're going to Atlanta to watch, to preview Oregon and Auburn. Because that's mm-hmm. just like it's just so obvious where they're going, and they always go to Clemson, they always go to Alabama, they always go to like Norman, Oklahoma, and they always go to they always go to
1: Columbus, yeah.
0: Right? It's like okay, I get, I understand that, but like those schools don't care anymore. That's like right. you know, and it's it's because that's just how humans are. Is. Once you do something for so long, it just becomes routine, and it's not as fun anymore. So when they went to UCF, like everybody went there and showed up because they're like, we have something to prove, and we want to show people that this is a great place to go. So that was my first moment. The second one, which I thought the game was over before it really even started because that first drive for Cincinnati – they get that delay a game penalty because it's so loud, and you can hear, yeah. even if you're not at the game. Like I was watching on TV, you can hear it through the TV, and I, I I got goosebumps watching it because I'm like that's incredible. And then they follow that up with a false start. I'm like that is that it, this game's over. And granted, it didn't it didn't go that way right off the bat, but eventually they got there. I was just like that's one of the greatest moments on TV that I've seen for a college football game. Yeah, like like what.
1: I I mean, and and this is a serious question: What college, what university out there, has an atmosphere quite like that? Because, and now you could say, "Oh well, you know, you got these schools in, in the SEC." Like, I mean, I worked in Georgia. I've been to, you know, before I came back down to Orlando, and you know, I've been to, I've been around the SEC, and I've been to all the schools. But the difference with UCF and their atmosphere is. Yes, it's a 45,000-seat stadium. It's not a 90,000, 100,000-seat behemoth like you see in the SEC. But the the fan base of UCF is so young. That's what people forget about this. The school's only been playing football since 1979. It's only existed since 1963, and it's only been a big, quote, in, in scare quotes, big school since I kind of started going there. And when I, when I was a freshman in 2001 – The number of students was forty-five thousand, up from thirty-eight thousand the previous year, and it kept. Well, now it's over sixty-five thousand. Now it's it's one of the largest universities in the country, and when you have a fan base that's that new and that young, they're going to bring the noise because it's not full of you know uh, 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 all of the. All of the old guys who, you know, who have their plaid shirts on, you know, it, it's UCF doesn't have that really. I mean, it, it's, you know, guys who've had season tickets like at Michigan for for the last 90 years. You know, it, 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 it's a it's a young fan base that is heavily invested in the school because everybody, everybody in the Orlando area went there and. Um, and and that translated through on the TV the play by play boot that uh, that they put the network guys in by the way at the stadium that's open air, so you can get and it's at the very top of the stadium and that noise is coming at them the entire time. So when you hear if you go back and watch the highlights of that game where and it sounds like Fowler's just being you know really excitable because it's a primetime game. No, he's yelling because it's it's loud as hell there. <laughs> I, I can't, I can't explain like you can't how loud anything. it is. Yeah. It, it's it, for me, it's between, it's between that. It's between Spectrum Stadium and the Carrier Dome in Syracuse, the loudest places. I mean, and the Carrier Dome has a roof. So that, that, that tells you how loud that place gets uh, when it's really cranking.
0: Right. And I think everybody has like a unique experience, but If Alabama wasn't winning football games at the rate that they do, or if they were, like, you switch UCF and Alabama in their conferences, like, Alabama's atmosphere sucks compared to UCF. And it's great because they're winning, but, like, they're not nearly as loud. And it's just just different. And granted, there's loud stadiums all across the country, but there's not a single one that's, you know, it looks like it's about to collapse in about a matter of seconds because of the jumping and the. We, yeah,
1: <sighs> we, we're in the press box, right? And and you know that, the, and there's a certain frequency at which the press box shakes, where you're like, okay, this place is really hopping now, and, and, and like the crowd's really amped, and um, and it was. I, I remember for me, the last time I was there was the championship game. Against Memphis, and it was right after that um, that o- that touchdown pass to Otis Anderson that got UCF within ten. I think right at, at the start of the third quarter, you know that was the spark that everybody was looking for, and we we're like, okay, we're, we all got it, everyone kind of looks at each other like, all right, we're still holding up, we're still good, you know the, the it's it, it's still a, it, the the Richter scale is not moving too much here, but but yeah, it's and by the way, it's not nearly as wild as it used to be because they had to reinforce the stadium several years ago. Jeez. So yeah, I mean to tell you about that. It's it's a truly unique experience and it's it's a blast, man. If you ever get the chance to come down and catch a game, it is a party. It's amazing.
0: Well I know where I'll stay with you and you'll show me the ropes if <laughs> I do. So you have
1: a free place to stay down here in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Okay. That's what
0: I like to hear. <laughs> So let's wrap it up with here. Why don't you just give us a prediction for UCF this year and we'll, we'll, we'll call it a day.
1: You know, I'm always uh, very conservative with my predictions because I'd, I'd rather be wrong on the low end than on the high end. Um, I'm going to go once again with 10 and two in the regular season this year. Um, I think the Stanford game is going to be tough. uh, And, I think that Cincinnati, October fourth, like we were talking about, that's going to be that's going to be a tough game. But uh, one of the advantages that UCF has this year is that a lot of their tough conference games are at home. They have Houston at home on November second. They have, and, and this year, uh, South Florida comes to UCF on Black Friday, the 29th. So their road games in conference uh, are at Tulsa, at Tulane, at Temple and at Cincinnati. That's Cincinnati is going to be a tough one. If they but if they get through Stanford, here's the thing. If they get if they play really well at FAU on September 7th and they beat Stanford, they should beat Pitt. I th- I, oh, I they do. They kicked believe. the
0: crap out of Pitt last year. I have no yeah, they, concerns there. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, I'm, i always get worried about road games because you just never know. I mean, it, it's well, I not mean, Pitt. A
0: it's the most bipolar team in the country. Yeah.
1: I mean, you, you just don't know if they're gonna if they're gonna run for 400 yards in the game. But if they get if they get through that stretch, they start conference play with Connecticut. If they get through Stanford and they get through Cincy, I would be shocked if they lost a the game the rest of the year. And then it's just a matter of what happens in the American championship. Who do they play? Do they get Houston in the West? Do they get Memphis again? Um, you know, I'm sure Memphis is just sick of it right now. It, 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 the amazing, I think UCF has won something like 14 or 15 straight against Memphis going back to 1990. I mean, it's it, it, Memphis won the first meeting that year. It was 29 years ago. And they've lost every meeting since. But, um yeah, it, the schedule shape, shapes up great for UCF in terms of who they have at home. If they can get through that Cincinnati game, which will be on a short week, um, they have a bye week right after that before they host East Carolina. And remember, this year they have two bye weeks, so they have another and they have another bye week after the game at Tulsa in mid-November. That probably can't come soon enough because then they're at Tulane and then home for South Florida and. I'm getting reports out of Tulane that they're going to be much improved this year, too. So, um, it's, again, it's just going to come down to straight execution. Do they do what they're supposed to do? Do they not turn the ball over? Um, and uh, do they put up points? Uh, and, uh, and if they do, it should be another very good year for UCF. And uh, a New Year's Six Bowl game is definitely in the pipeline, at least at this point.
0: Well, that's a perfect way to end our team preview series here, uh, Jeff. Thanks for thanks for joining us, man. It's finally nice to talk to you. And why don't you plug yourself and the website? Where can people find you?
1: Sure thing, Joe. No, thank you for having us on. We are. Uh, you can find us at blackandgoldbanneret.com. We are uh, SB Nation's home for UCF. We joined the network um, less than a year ago. Actually, we we hopped on board. Um,
0: in it was October, super close to the season.
1: Yeah, and it was it was a real blast. We um we've had we've had such a great time being a part of SB Nation and working with you know you guys and and everybody around. It's just been a really welcoming experience. And we're and uh, you can find us at uh, Black and Gold Bannerette. That's Banner with an E T at the end. Dot com uh, and you can also hit us up uh, on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash black and gold Banneret. And you can find and if you're looking for the um, the latest details on UCF, uh, you can follow myself at Jeff underscore Sharon. You can follow Brian Murphy, who's also uh, one of our uh, one of our editors at Spokes underscore Murphy s p o k e s underscore Murphy and Eric Lopez at Eric Lopez Elo. That's uh, So there you go. You have your UCF Twitter list ready to go.
0: <laughs> Perfect. That's just what we need. All right, so that is it for the team preview series. Like I said, thanks to Jeff for joining us to preview UCF for this year. Hopefully we have another run from the Knights, but if not, hopefully it's another team from the American. Uh, so until next time, thanks for listening to Joe Talk.